Hello, and welcome to Truth For Today with Terry Fant. And yes, I'm your host, Terry Fant. In a world full of confusion that leads to chaos, the answer for clarity is the absolute truth of God's Word. It has stood the test of time. I hope you'll listen to this message with an open heart and that God would speak to you one-on-one through it. If you're ever in the Florence, Mississippi area, then we would love for you to join us for live worship. Please feel free to reach out to me at terryfant at icloud.com. May the Lord bless you as he draws, shapes, and instructs you. Now, let's listen to today's message. As you think about the message of that song, you know we said a couple of times, your way is better. Did y'all catch that? And the song, come on now, this is yes. And all right. And so we sang that a couple of times in that song. We said, your way is better. But my question for you as we get started, just sort of kind of prime the pump a little bit is this. What about when his way is suffering? What about when his way is difficulty? Uh, yeah, see how it kind of sucked all the oxygen out of the room and everybody's just sort of looking at me for a minute? Think about it now. We're just saying, God, your way is better. Here's my surrender. I'm not resisting you, God. I'm not fighting against you, God. I'm, I'm inviting whatever you want to do into my life, God. And so here's my surrender. And then we declared what? Your way is better. But what about when his way is hardship and his way is difficulty and his way is strain? And how many of you know that part of God's way is suffering? If you don't believe it, look to the Son of God and see how he redeemed all of mankind. He did it. The redemption came through what? Suffering. Isn't it interesting, though, we as creation oftentimes would like to elevate ourselves to a position that uh, is higher than Jesus and that we would never suffer a single difficult moment in this life. And yet what we've learned is that difficulty is very beneficial in the life of the believer. So if you have your Bible, I want you to turn with now that I've sucked all the air out of your sails, uh, turn with me in your Bible to 1 Peter chapter number 1. And we're going to pick up where we left off on Resurrection Sunday. Now, if you weren't here, don't fret. It's going to, the message stands alone, but it will also build. So that's interesting. It builds off of last week, but it also stands alone. Uh, last week, as you're turning to 1 Peter chapter 1, I want you to find verse number 13. And as you're finding that, I want to just kind of remind you of last week's message. We, really, the title of last week's message was two words. Do you remember? Living hope, right? And what, he's, what, what Peter said to the people is that they have a, not a dead hope, they have a living hope uh, through Jesus Christ or by Jesus Christ's resurrection from the dead. Remember, it was the resurrection that validated everything that Jesus taught, everything that he said about himself, and the work that was done on the cross was validated. It, the victory was won on the Calvary on the cross, but it was validated in the resurrection. And so he's telling the people they have a living hope because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Nothing can ever take that hope away from us. I'm so thankful today that when life seems hopeless, I always have someone to hope in, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ who rose from the dead. Sometimes I just say to myself, he's still risen. You know, I just say it to myself, he's still risen. Now, I want you to think for a minute about the context of what we're going to look into. You may be our guest today, and you're thinking, what is this guy talking about? Uh, I'm very uh, heavy in the area of context and proper biblical interpretation. Here's why. People will say to me, well, I don't really believe the Bible because there's a lot of different interpretations. I said, no, no, no. There are several translations. There's only one proper interpretation of a passage. Now, what goes into that is what style of writing are you looking into? There's wisdom writing. There's poetry. There's Old Testament narrative, New Testament. There's epistles, uh, pastoral letters written to, in, in, in the context of a pastor. So it, all of that factors in. But one of the things that's necessary in every style of writing in the Scripture to properly interpret is context. What's going on? Who is the author? Who did he write it to? What's going on? It helps us to determine what the passage says. Now, you say, why did you tell us all that boring stuff? Because I want you to be a biblically informed individual. I want your life, your vision, your, your, your roles, uh, your activity to be shaped from the very Word of God. And I don't want people to be able to come to you and hit you with one verse and twist it up and cause you to adjust your life based on a misinterpretation. And so I want to help you be able to do that when I'm not around, you and the Holy Spirit of God. And so uh, that's part of my responsibility to you to equip the saints, all right? So the author was a man by the name of Peter. What do we know about Peter? He went from a chicken little, right, to a bold line in the faith. You said, chicken little, when? Remember? In the garden when he said, because he was a little bit mouthy like some of us. He said to Jesus, I'm going to follow you all the way to the end. Wherever you go, I'm going, even if it costs me my life. And Jesus said, no, you're not. He says, as a matter of fact, for the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And guess who was right? 
Jesus was right. He denied him three times before the rooster crowed. Now, why did I say that? Here's a, something you need to store away, right, for the rest of your life. Jesus is always right. He's always right. Now, interesting to me, if you and I would have known that somebody in our circle was going to betray us, we'd probably put them out of the circle. If we knew somebody close to us that we loved is going to let us down and, 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 and just fail miserably, we would probably avoid that person, but not Jesus. He had Peter right up close. He was pouring into Peter because Jesus knew Peter's life, the impact he would have when, when Jesus got on the inside of Peter and not just on the outside. And so as that thing continued to unfold, he said, I'm going to, and he denied him three times. He said, I don't even know the man. But then we fast forward to after the resurrection. And we have the coming of the Holy Spirit. Now we find this letter that Peter has written to a group of people who are Christians whose town, whose place has been burned with fire. And who's burned it with fire is the, the authority. Nero is burnt because he has an insatiable love to build. And this is just some context you'll find in some historical research. And he's blamed, but the people got mad. Can you believe that? And as they got mad, he decided to blame the Christians. Because they were weird people. They were different. They weren't like everybody else. And so he decided to blame them. And as he did, they're not only facing the loss of their stuff from the fire, but they're also facing extreme persecution. Can you imagine if somebody came to you and told you it was this group of people who burnt your city, who burnt your stuff, you'd be mad too. So they're receiving death threats and all kinds of uh, difficulty in everyday life. And again, you'd expect First Peter to be written this way. Hey, listen, life's hard, and y'all are going through a lot of hard things for the kingdom, and life's so difficult. So listen, y'all just group up, and just don't, you don't go tell nobody about you. Just hug each other, and just cry, and encourage each other, and don't worry. Listen, and if you, if you lose your temper, don't worry about that. If you blow your testimony, don't worry about that, but you find the opposite. What Peter does through the Holy Spirit's leadership is to say, listen, you've got the perfect situation for your light to shine brighter than it ever has before. You see, difficulty gives you a platform that blessing and abundance does not. Matter of fact, a lot of people in your life, when, you're, when you have an abundance of blessing, they don't want to hear from you. They don't want to see you. They don't want to sit around you. They don't want to hear about how many grandkids you've got if they don't have any. They don't want to hear about how nice your new vehicle is if they don't have one. And so oftentimes in the abundance of life, they don't hear us. But in the difficulty, when things are going hard and the diagnosis has come and we're facing hardship, they lean in and they say, now this person claims to have a living hope. Let's see if they're going to live hope. And so today, that's the, the setting of what we're going to dive into. Do you feel like you got a little footing now as to what's going on? Okay. Now, the first chapter, early part, he told them, you have a living hope in Jesus Christ. Remember, he talked about you have an inheritance coming. If you were here, you remember. He said it's undefiled, unfaded. We talked about the fact that what we have reserved for us in heaven doesn't have to be painted. Glory to God. No asphalt patching in heaven. It's, 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 it's reserved. It's kept by God. And we talked about the wonder of heaven, the treasure of heaven is not the gold streets or the jasmine walls or all the, the big pearl gate that we'll walk through. But it is, in fact, the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he said, as we closed, uh, somebody told me, man, I never heard anybody preach on Resurrection Sunday that there's going to be hardship in this journey. Matter of fact, we said it a certain way. We said the Christian life is not all. Y'all were paying attention. It's not all lollipops and gumdrops. And so today we're going to build on that. And you remember what he said? He said, you greatly rejoice in, in all of this. What? That we have a living hope? that we have an inheritance, that we're kept by the power of God. Man, we rejoice in that. We want to sing about that. We want to clap about that. We want to say, praise God, hallelujah. But when the difficulty case says, but, but, there's a need for some grieving and some difficulty so that your faith, like gold, will be refined by the fire. And what happens when the fire hits the gold and the silver, it burns out the impurities. And how many of you would be like me and say this? I really struggle sometimes with faith. Can anybody else say that besides me? Just the preacher? Okay, now it's a few more. One more time. All right, by a show of hands, how many of you here that say you struggle sometimes with faith, what you can't see? Okay, good. I'm amongst my people. And so somebody said, I went to Hickory's and the preacher said he struggles with faith, man. Yeah, I'm just human like you. And, and truth of the matter is I believe every Christian struggles a little bit with faith, and it's a continual process. So here's what, here's what he's saying. Uh, I'm, I'm reminding you that you need to go through some things to strengthen and purify your faith. You need to go through some things to find out that God really is who he says he is. Not just on top of the mountain, but down in the valley. So let's dive in, all right? You have some context. Now we're going to pick up. He's just told them there's going to be some trials and, and difficulty. And now we're going to pick up in verse number 13 and read all the way down through verse number 21. How about that? And isn't it great to see the room full again? Because he's still risen. 
It wasn't just last, Resurrection Sunday. He's, he's still risen. And so I want to encourage you to be faithful and, and come every time you can. Let's grow together as the people of God, all right? So would you now stand in honor of reading God's Word? Stand to your feet with me, and let's read the Word of God together. And I'm so thankful for those who are in the overflow right now, and I pray that you'll stand to your feet back there as well, and we're going to dive into this Word together. Beginning in verse number 13, 1 Peter chapter 1. Therefore, based on all that I just explained, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also, help me all, be holy. In which part of your conduct? All of your conduct. Because it's written, be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here, how? In fear. God told me to be afraid. Yeah, hang on. We're going to come back to it. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope, y'all help me out, are in God. Not in man, not in the ways of man, not in your abilities, but your faith and your hope are in God. It's a living hope, all right? Let's pause for a brief word of prayer. Would you bow with me for just a moment? And maybe bump my volume down just ever so slightly, if you would. Father, we thank you today for allowing us to be in this room together. And, Father, we thank you for those who are gathered in different locations, some in their patrol car, some in the captain's room, some at the nurse's station. And so, Lord, I pray the people in the room would share on social media to help those outside the room. And, Lord, I pray as we meet here that you would help me, less than ordinary, weak and beggarly in every way. Father, would you put on display as you use me by the gift you've given me, by the Holy Spirit and the time we spent together, would you put on display that you can call and use anybody for anything you so desire. I pray that somebody be encouraged by that today. And, Father, as you preach through me, please preach to me. I need to hear it as much as anybody in this room. So, Father, preach through me, but preach to me. And may our lives be transformed by the preaching of your word. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And the people of God said, amen and amen. Thank you. And you may be seated. <clears throat> any of you glad to be here? Amen. I'm going to check the neighborhoods and just see if i got any smilers in the house this morning. Yeah, all right. Okay, we've got a few. We've got a few smilers in the house this morning. Uh, today we're going to title the message the same as the week before, Living Hope. But now last week we said Living Hope, and we proved what our living hope is. It's in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection, and all the benefits that come with knowing him and him knowing us. But today's title is going to be the same two words, just phrased a little different. We said Living Hope, as in Jesus. This week is going to be Living Hope. In other words, the hope I have, I'm living it out. Does that make sense? So Jesus is my living hope, but I am to be living hope as I walk the journey. And by the way, when you're living hope versus living hopeless, they are two stark contrasts. One attractive, one unattractive. Somebody with me this morning? Say amen. So let's dive in and see what is the main idea of those particular verses, okay? Now, again, if you're our guest today, you'll find that we, God's wired me to preach what we call expository, verse at a time, one building upon the other. We believe it keeps us from missing things that are important. We don't just hit the, the, the sweet stuff. We hit the things that are sweet but a little bit bitter at the same time, bittersweet, and hard things and easy things and everything in between. And so today as we do that, uh, I want to show you the main idea of those verses, 13 through down through verse number 21. That is this, followers of Jesus live differently even in difficulty. I might even say to that, followers of Jesus live differently, especially in difficulty. And so I want you to think about that as you jot that down somewhere. If you're our guest, I encourage you to take a few notes. Here's why. I want you to leave out of here with the ability to make disciples. And if you have the information from the Word of God, you're able to go and share with somebody at work. That, in fact, is making disciples. I hope you won't miss that opportunity. So here we go. There are going to be uh, four Roman numerals to our message this morning, all right? But we're going to hang out for the most portion in Roman numeral one, and that is because there's a list of five things, okay? Y'all with me? Everybody tracking? I see some of y'all getting your color-coded pens out, and that's awesome. Uh, I'm not that kind of person, but I love, man, I follow some of y'all's notes that you take a lot better than I follow my own. And so Roman numeral one, and you know, so I want you to write this down. Just a simple statement, two words, live differently. Live different, all right? Now, some of us have misunderstood that when we came to faith in Jesus, that we can't just go back to doing what we were doing. We can't just go back to being what we were being. 
But when we truly give our life to Jesus and Jesus comes to live inside of us by the presence of his spirit, we are not the same person anymore. And I'm not certain how in America we got that so backwards. I know it's, we like to, the old phrase that says we like to have our cake and eat it too. And so we like to call ourselves Christian but live as the rest of the world as well. But listen, all the way from back in Genesis, we found out that God wants a people. He desires a people who will stand out and live differently for his glory in the midst of a people who don't know him, okay? So number one, live differently. In the parentheses, I want you to write these two words, be weird. Be weird, all right? Uh, These people were weird, and because they were weird, uh, they pinned on them the responsibility of all that happened in the area. And you say, well, great, if I be weird, that means they're going to pin on me and it's going to be, yeah, there's going to be some persecution, but the Scripture promises to every person who desires to live a godly life, there's going to be some difficulty. So, Roman number one, live differently. Here's the list of five. I'm going to give you now five ways that you and I are called to live differently, okay? Now, let me tell you why you're writing that, why I'm so glad that this is here. I'm a guy, and I don't know how many of you can relate to this, who I need some practical instruction in order to do things. In other words... I don't like catchphrase type of, of, of faith. You know what I'm saying? In other words, you ever heard anybody t- say this to you, let go and let God? Well, man, usually when they tell me stuff like that, I'm having some devastating stuff going on in my life. And I have some, some wise joker come up to me and say, well, just let go and let God. And I just want to slap them, you know, almost sometimes. I'm, I'm only joking. I don't want to slap anybody. But there have been times in the past when I wasn't walking near with Jesus, when I'd have a Christian somebody come up to me when I wasn't walking with Christ and say, well, just let go and let God. And I really did want to put my hands on them. Because to say that to me doesn't, I need to, tell me what that means. Show me that letting go and letting God is, looks like this, and I'm, that's another message for another day, but today it's lived different. So I'm going to tell you, well, I'm not, but Holy Spirit through Peter is going to instruct us in the specifics of living differently. If I just gave you a shirt and said, live different, you left out of here, that may mean you go, you know, dye your hair orange, purple, blue, and yellow, and stripe it, and sh- shave a strip, and leave a strip, and shave a strip. I mean, we do all kinds of things to try to be different, don't we? Truth of the matter is, we're all the same except if we would live boldly for the glory of God. So, Roman number one, live different. Number one, in these list of five, number one, stay focused. Stay focused. Has anybody in here ever gotten in trouble getting distracted? I remember as uh, when, I think it was Riley, when he was little, I was, he was getting ready to play a game at the Florence Fields, and me and Maddie were throwing the ball together. And as we were throwing the ball together back and forth, you know, me and her were having a blast, and she could throw pretty good at an early age. And we were throwing with a hard ball, and we're throwing back and forth, and somebody, y'all know where the story's going already, don't you? Somebody called my name, and I broke the golden rule. I lost focus. I turned my head to, to see who it was that called my name about the time that that baseball hit me in the cheek and got all my attention, every bit of my attention all at once. You know what I'm saying? Like, I didn't even know who that was or what was going on. I just knew for sure that I'd been hit in the face with a baseball. And so distracted is dangerous. Maybe write that somewhere in your notes. Distracted is dangerous. There's really nothing that you could be doing that distracted is a good thing, okay? And so distracting is dangerous. Now, let me just cause you to think for just a minute about this journey. Uh, about how, about, how many of you can say this? You have had an accident somewhere in your life, maybe driving, uh, while you were in an early group. It was about all of us. So y'all don't get all super pious on me and super spiritual and say you never had a wreck. How many of you can say that you have at least had some type of fender bender some, because you were distracted? Raise your hand. Glory to God. Look at that. Look at the statistics there, man. Y'all looking around like, I gotta, I'm letting y'all get out of the parking lot before I even crank up. And so we would all say that we've had some kind of little access. On our way back the other night from a softball game, I, I, I felt myself sort of drifting a little bit in the lane, and I woke up. Yeah, I was driving. And I woke up, you know, and when I woke up, my wife, Tina was patting me on the arm looking up. Like, I keep believing. I was like, well, I didn't mean to do it. I just dozed off, you know. And, and if I would have stayed distracted, it would have been very, very dangerous. It had been very dangerous. And so here's what I want you to see. Look at what he says in verse 13. Therefore, therefore, based on all that we have in Jesus, this living hope, we have a living hope, so we should live hope, all right? Uh, And so verse 13, therefore, gird up the loins of your... Now, how many of you used that phrase this week? I would not recommend you go to work and say to your boss on Monday, listen, I need you to gird up the loins of your mind. And they're going to look at you like, what is wrong with you, you know? They may give you a day off to freshen your mental capacities, right? And so today I want you to understand that what he's saying, that the terminology to his audience would be very, very clear because they understood the phrase as an athletic competition type of phrase. In other words, if a person was about to run in a race, uh, loose clothing would get them, in, it's dangerous, 
to have loose clothes, to have loose ends. And so they would say, gird up the loins of your outfit. Gird up the loins. You need to tighten up everything that's loose, cinch your belt, tuck in the loose edges because it's dangerous to be distracted. And so if you're running, you don't want to run. Can you imagine running a marathon in a full-length robe? No, as a matter of fact, people who are going to run marathons are going to run in the least amount of wind resistance that they can. And you ought to live your life in the Christian faith with the least amount of resistance as you can. And so what are you saying, preacher? I'm saying to you that in our mind, oftentimes there are loose ends. We're worrying about this. We're thinking about the diagnosis. We're thinking about what if. We're, we're, how many of you in the room are worriers? Now, let me ask the other half of you. How many know somebody in the room that's a worrier? Wait a minute. Now, those don't line up. There were more hands the second time than the first time. Somebody's lying. So we worry oftentimes because we are distracted. Distracted from what? There's a good God who loves us and is in control of all things. Who gave his son for us, who did, who, listen, how will he not also, he didn't, he gave his son, how will he also not freely give us all things that we need that pertain to life? But when we start doubting that, we start listening to the voices of the doctor, we start listening to, looking at our finances, we start looking at and listening to and looking at, and all of a sudden we've got all these loose ends in our mind. How many of you know that this is the battlefield? And the scripture says it this way as a man thinks, so he does, so is he. In other words, you think on it long enough, you will do it. How many of you found that out to be true? You think about somebody did something to you, and you think about what you'd like to do to them, and you'll fool around. And if you keep thinking and meditating on it, you'll find yourself doing it, right? And so what, what I want you to see today is what, what, what Peter was saying to the audience was that you can't, you, you're facing so much. You've lost things in the fire. You, you, you've got these people around you that hate God, that don't know God, that don't, don't know Jesus, and they hate you double because they, they, they see you as different. They think you burnt, you set the fire. So you can't have, you can't be distracted. You've got to stay focused on the things of the kingdom. Now, let me say this to you. You may not be facing that situation. Matter of fact, none of us are facing that exact situation. But in a room this size with this many people, in that overflow room, and people who are watching out there, we're all facing something. And if we're not careful, the thing that we're facing will cause us to be distracted. And distracted is, help me somebody, dangerous. So we need to stay focused. Somebody said, how in the world can I stay focused? Well, that's a great question. The answer is making sure that I'm spending time in the Word of God, in prayer, and around the people of God. They will help me stay focused. Y'all with me? Give me a little head nod. I'll move on to number two. Number two in this list. So first we said we need to stay focused. Maybe there's a young person in the room, and they're helping me by making sure the older people are staying awake, and they may be drawing me a picture right now. And maybe you're drawing a picture of somebody staying awake driving, right? And we got to stay focused in the Christian life. Number two, stay sober. Stay sober. Now, this is about to get interesting. Half of y'all got mad at me already right there. I ain't said nothing but stay sober. And so stay sober. What in the world is he talking about? Well, hang on. I'm about to explain it. Look with me, if you will, back in verse number 13. Therefore, based on this wonderful living hope, what does it look like to be living hope? To be living hope. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Cinch up those loose ends. Don't have all this distracted living. Focus on the thing of the kingdom. One goal, one Savior, one baptism, one Lord. And the second thing he says is two words, very simply. Y'all help me. Verse 13, be now, some of you who like to drink alcohol and to get drunk are right now getting mad. Say, I can't believe he brought this up. And, you know, I went to Hickory's. He's always talking about drinking, you know. And interestingly enough, I'm going to talk about, about 32 things before it's over. But that would be the one thing you hang on because that's the one thing you struggle with the most. And listen, I've been there. I know about that. And what I want you to see is he's saying that we ought not, we ought not be unsober. We ought not lose sobriety. Now, let me just say to you that drinking alcohol is just one way to lose sobriety. You can lose sobriety through marijuana. You can lose sobriety through other mood-altering drugs. But you can also, now this word for sobriety, I need you to understand, is clear thinking, all right? Uh, you might put there self-controlled, but I need to do a little explanation right here. Because we say, wait a minute now, preacher, every week you talk about the fact that we have a self-nature, a nature of Adam and us, and we don't need to follow that guy, right? So why would now you try to tell me I need to be self Control, because self, you've told me, is bad, and self-control would have to be bad. So help me out. Help me out. Here it is. You ready? Self-controlled means to be under control. Have yourself under control. See the difference? Not self-having control, but self-under control. I wish somebody would nod or smile or blink so I know you all are picking up what I'm putting down. So what I'm, I'm so thankful is that self is under control when I'm under the guidance of the Holy Spirit of God. When I drink alcohol, self gets I was hoping y'all were going to step out on that limb with me. I was feeling awful lonely. Self gets out of control. Now, let me ask a question. Uh, how many of you can say that some of the stupidest things you've ever done in your life have been when you've been under the influence of something else? Raise your hand. Oh, my goodness. Look at all my people. I've done some really stupid things. I, I've done some things. If you found out about it, you'd, you'd think, good night. You did that? 
And so now, so we self-control, not, not just alcohol, not just, not just substances, but how about, how about, so self under control. It's not just substances that can get self out of control. Sometimes it's emotions. Sometimes it is not the intoxication of fermented hops and barley or what have you, but it is instead the emotion of anger that can't forgive. And all of a sudden, anger is letting self out of the box, and self is now out of control, and anger is dominating my life, and I'm not in that moment sober. I'm not, that, that's the context of this particular passage. So everybody in the room that likes to get drunk is like, phew, it's not just us. There are a lot of opportunities for us to... Let self be out of control, okay? So in order for me to continue the journey, now, now watch how this works out. Remember the context of suffering and difficulty. If I don't stay focused, I'm going to listen to the what ifs, what ifs, and all the difficulty I'm going through, and I'll throw in the towel. And I'll be twice the son of a gun I was before I was walking with Jesus. Come on, anybody out there? And so now we think about the area of being self-controlled. Oftentimes in life, here's what we have a tendency to do. We have a tendency to try to escape life by being out of control. The reason with which most people pursue intoxication, whether it be through substances or emotions, it is because we don't like the pain or the feeling of the moment, so we choose to go a different direction to try to, I'm going to use the word here, narcolize the pain, to numb it, to just be able to be angry. Instead of feeling the hurt, i got a couple of ways I can numb it. I can get drunk, and it'll be numb for a while. But then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sober up, and there it is again. I can choose to be angry, right, if I'm hurt. And I'll, it'll narcolize the pain because I'm in control. If I'm angry, I'm not hurting. And yet in those moments, I'm not sober-minded. Self is out of control. And I'll be saying things to people and doing things to people, the likes of which will make you scratch your head. So Peter is saying to them, as you're facing this difficulty, as you're going through hard times, you have a living hope. Here's what it looks like to live hope. You have to stay focused, and you have to, y'all help me, you have to stay sober. If I surrender sobriety, listen to me. If I surrender sobriety, whether it be alcohol, whether it be substances, whether it be the emotions, if I surrender sobriety, there's great potential for the enemies to have the upper hand. If I surrender self being controlled by the Holy Spirit. There is great opportunity for the two enemies to gain the upper hand. Now, y'all help me for our home folks. Who are our two enemies? First, internal is self. It's the old nature of Adam that wants the steering wheel. It just wants to have fun, do what he wants to do when he wants to do it. Don't worry about the cost. And there's the enemy outside of me called Satan. World system falls under it. Demons fall under it. So I've got an outside enemy working with the inside enemy trying to tempt me to get out of control. Because when self is under control, especially in difficulty, the people around us are watching and they want it. Deep down, they want their self to be under control because they know like we do, our self, when it's out of control, causes all kind of hardship. So again, the dark backdrop of difficulty becomes a wonderful place to shine the light of Jesus when we are under control. Be sober. Let me move on number three. Look how quick we're going through this list. Number one, stay focused. Number two, stay sober. Number three, rest your hope on the, and I want you to write a, a word in there. It's on the, overline, it's on the outline. Thank you all for correcting that for me. In my notes, I have, I have rest your hope on the grace of God, but literally it needs to say what it says there. Rest your hope on the future grace of God. Now you say, wait a minute, future grace. Well, let's read, all right? As you write, I'm going to read the verse. It's going to come on the overhead, all right? Verse 13, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Tie up the loose ends. Stay focused. you got to stay focused. Be sober, all right? You can't be controlled by yourself. Yourself has to be under control, all right, by the Holy Spirit. And the next thing he says is rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, resting your hope on the future grace. Now, let's build a case here. Uh, first of all, an illustration. Have you ever rested on something that couldn't hold you? Anybody ever stepped on something you thought, you looked at it, and you said, that'll hold me? And then you, huh? And then you found out the hard way, what? It couldn't hold you. And when you found that out, it usually you lose a couple of heartbeats, and you might have fractured something. You know, there's all kind of ways you find out that things can't hold you. Well, when you rest your hope on things that you think can hold you, there's a lot worse things that happen than broken bones. When you rest your hope on the substances, when you rest your hope on your career, when you rest your hope on your hobby, when you rest your hope on, when you take your hope like a coat and hang it on your ability to play soccer, what happens when you tear your knee up, you can't play soccer anymore, you are going to be in a terrible spot because it can't hold you. It cannot hold the weight of hope. 
Hope is a weighty matter, and only the Lord Jesus can hold the hope that gives you and I living hope in this journey called life. So stay sober. Next, rest your hope on the future grace. Now, why would you say future grace? So far, I have experienced, listen to me and see if you can relate, a double portion of grace. Anybody else in the room besides me? Yeah, I'm probably looking at a bunch of good people. Y'all probably been good since you were born, but not me. Not me. I've done some pretty rotten things in this journey. And I'd just like to see who my people are in the room. If you've done some pretty rotten things in this journey so far, would you raise your hand up so that I just know, who? okay, wow, there's more of me out there than I thought. And based on who I am without him and things that I have done, when I look at my life, I am overwhelmed with the level of grace I have already experienced. First of all, I'm saved. I can't get past that. My list goes on and on. But that's number one, and that's number two, and it's number 50, and it's number 75 on my list. What is? I'm saved. My sins are forgiven. I've been given the Holy Spirit of God. I'm, I'm a citizen of heaven just passing through down here. I'm gifted of the Holy Ghost. I can't wait to get home to see Jesus. And in the midst of that, I can keep on going. He's given me a beautiful wife. Looks like she's about 30 years old. Somebody asked the other day, which one of my daughters was she? Ain't that something? Talk about grace. He's given me a lady beautiful inside and out. He's given me children and grandchildren. He's given me a place to live, a church to preach, a, a pulpit to preach in. He's given, I mean, the grace of God is so rich in my life. But here's what Peter is saying to them. He said, guys, listen, hang on, because in difficulty, watch what happens. In one difficult season, one diagnosis, you and I will forget every bit of that. Wait a minute. He said, I have cancer? Woe is me. Oh, no. What am I going to do? Well, one day you're going to die. And it may not be cancer, but one day, rest assured, you're going to die. And it's not the badness of God because he's not bad. In him there's no darkness, no shadow of turning. It's the goodness of God that's going to allow you to die in, in, in Jesus. And be set free from all the mess down here and the limitations of your body and all the stuff that is this life and, and get to that place. So here's what he's saying. He said there's a future level of grace that you can't dream about. You think you can, but you can't. It's too good. It's too wonderful. Heaven's too great. Your future condition. Can you imagine, first of all, never having a wrong thought again for the rest of eternity? My land. Think on that for a minute. And he's saying, this is, up, this is still to come. So if I've already experienced all this wonderful grace, why would I let the circumstances of a diagnosis or a financial hardship or something I'm going through cause me to think that this is the end and it's over and God's not good? But instead I look back over my life and I declare... He has been so good and gracious and kind, but what I know, something better is coming. How many of you can say today that you know for certain in your life something better is coming when you get to die? Isn't that good news? It's so, so how do we make it through hard times? Man, we draw near the Lord. We, we stay focused. We stay sober, and we, we rest our hope where? On the future grace we're going to experience in the kingdom of heaven. Let me move on if I can. Number four, look how quick y'all are listening. Y'all aren't going to smile with me today. Some of y'all got Easter candy hangover. Number four, all right, if you'll write this in your notes, next thing he says is found in verse number 14. Here it is, never go back. Never, ever, ever go back. So 13, he says, this future grace, 14, as obedient children. Now, we love that word, don't we, obedient children? If we have children, we love that term. How many of you know if you have children or grandchildren, you love that term, obedient children? But if you are a child and you don't have children, you don't like that word so much. I remember being a child and talking about obedient. What in the world? It's like a, some dictionary term that I didn't want to get along with. And I sure didn't think my mom and daddy had any sense trying to tell me what to do, and I knew better. And yet I grew a little bit, lived a little bit, and figured out, oh, mom and dad aren't as dumb as I thought they were. And, but isn't it interesting we had to live a little bit, fail a little bit, until we finally get to that place? And so as this thing unfolds, he says, in verse 14, as obedient children, now remember he's talking to uh, believers, those who have been born again. He says, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts. D do you see where I got never go back? Why, what term, what word would I take from verse 14 that I would say go back? Former. That means in the rearview mirror. That means in the past. H here's what he's saying there. He says, don't conform yourselves back to the former lust, the, the old way of living, doing what you want to do when you want to do it, even when the things that you're doing dishonor God, you just don't care. He says, don't go back to that. Now, listen, I need to say this. Some of us in here have never gotten away from that. And we are lied to and think that we're saved and going to heaven. And it's, somebody looking at me like, I can't believe that preacher said that. Listen, I love you enough. I love you all the way to eternity. I don't just love you and want you to be my friend today, and then you die and go to hell. 
If a truck was speeding at you, do you think I would shout to you and get right in your face and say, get out of the way, you're about to get ran over? And so I just want you to know that, listen, there's only one way to know him, be right with him, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And when Jesus comes to take residence in your heart, you're not the same guy anymore. He changes you. Not perfect, but change, transform. So that's what he's talking about, this transformed life, this living hope, living out the hope. So he says, uh, never go back. Verse 14, it's interesting to me, not conforming yourselves. Conforming is a word that means to shape something. Now, it's very interesting to me that the Holy Spirit through Peter penned this, this specific way in the verbiage. Here's what it says. You don't do that to yourself. He's saying then that you and I have the capacity by our old fleshly desires, because it's still, how many of you are still in there? And if you feed that, instead of feeding the Holy Ghost in you with the Word and with the people of God, I'm telling you, you'll lean on that other one, and what will happen is you'll find yourself doing the same things that you used to do. And he says, don't shape yourself that way. It's interesting to me that we have the capacity and the power to shape ourselves back into the old mold. You've heard it said before when Jesus quoted the Old Testament, he said that just as a dog returns to its vomit. Anybody still with me? Some of you are like, I'm checking out now. I'm not going to hear this. That is one of the most disgusting things you'll ever watch. It happened in our living room about how long? Three weeks ago. She's shaking her head. I can't believe I'm telling it happened in our living room, right in front. Of, I'm, I'm gagging. I mean, I have a gag, strong gag reflex. And I got, I'm gagging. I'm going, and it was just awful. And I was reminded that's what we do. Uh, we go back to the things that tore us up, that, that caused misery and, and hardship and, and pain and wrecked relationships and kept us from growing and gave us a lack of peace. And all the things that we earned from that old way of living, if we're not careful, listen to me. Remember the context, especially when the going gets tough, especially when we're challenged on what we believe, especially on the diagnosis not going the way we thought, especially when somebody dies what we think is out of turn, especially when things don't relate to what we think is right. I'm telling you, we struggle, and we have a tendency to drift back. Come on, somebody. And I'll tell you what's amazing to me over these 18 years, how quickly we can conform ourselves back into the old, back into the old lusts. Anybody out there? You ever notice how you can go back to being who you used to be real easy if you just disconnect a little bit from the three great resources of God? The Holy Spirit's leadership and guidance, the Word of God's instruction in your life daily, and the church. You distance yourself from those three, and you'll be surprised how fast you can go back to being worse than you were before you met Him. So I want to encourage you. He was encouraging them. I want to encourage you, never, ever, ever go back, all right? And so number five in this list, all right, never go back. Number five in this list is to, now, i got some, got some gun lovers in here, got some gun haters in here. Relax. We're not talking about aiming guns, okay? So everybody just take a deep breath. We all all right? No, no, no some of y'all ain't right. Just ain't gonna, I just say aim, and it messes you up. All right, listen, you can aim a bow, you can aim a gun, but you also can aim your life at a goal. Come on, somebody help me, all right? So I want to just for a minute, before I have this, this image come up on the overhead, I want you to see what he says in verses 15 and 16, okay? So reading right on, and by the way, isn't Peter giving them some great instructions? I mean, he just didn't say, live different. <laughs> okay, well, what in the world does that mean? Should I dye my hair? You know, what should I do? Pierce my eyebrows? Is that, is that, that different enough? What is he talking about? And he gave practical differences in the believer facing hardship, okay? Now, verse 15. And by the way, he says, uh, obedient children, verse 14, that not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your, y'all mumbled that thing, ignorance. And we've all been ignorant before, haven't we? And ignorance, how my sisters used to say it. And you and I cannot just say that we've been ignorant in the past, but we are ignorant right now. I like that. Let me look at you in the face and tell you you're ignorant. You're ignorant. And I'm ignorant. And ignorant is just lacking the knowledge. Most everybody in here is ignorant in performing a heart surgery. See, now you're not mad at me. You're mad at me for a minute. Now you're starting to put it together. Most of us are ignorant, right, in, in rocket fuel and, and, and what it takes to put a rocket in outer space, right? Most of us are ignorant. See, really, if I could give you a long list here, we're a lot more ignorant than we think because we don't like to think that we're ignorant. We think that we're pretty intelligent. But there's a lot of things we don't know. And listen to this statement. You already know it. We don't know what we don't know. And, and, and Peter's saying to them, before you knew Jesus, you didn't know. Before you knew there's a different way of living, you didn't know. So you acted however you wanted to act. You did whatever you wanted to do. But you're not ignorant anymore. 
And did you know that after you leave out of here today, you can never claim that you were ignorant of, of knowing what living out hope is supposed to be like? I ruined that for you. And not that it would ever be a, 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 that could hold up anyhow. But you understand, you came today not to be entertained. You came today not to, you know, be my best friend. You came today to be instructed by the living Word of God. And he's given me and you living hope. And here's what it looks like when we live it out. So, so he says to them uh, in verse 15, but as uh, he who called you is holy, you also be in your conduct. All right? Uh, and so I want you to think for just a minute about that. Uh, your former conduct to the former lust of your ignorance, but as he who called you is, is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Because it's written, be holy as I am holy. I want you to think for a minute about how life without a goal is difficult. Would you agree with that? Let me, let me clarify. Life without a clearly defined goal is difficult. Would you agree with that statement? In other words, if I just set you out there and said, all right, go do it. You say, go do what? I say, I don't know, just go do it. It's going to cause chaos because some of you are going to just start painting the wall. No, you probably wouldn't do that. If you don't know what it is, if you don't know what the goal is, you're not going to do a very good job of hitting the mark. So I think for a minute about, I think for a minute about, here's the picture I got in my head. Y'all with me? Come on in my head with me for a second. Scary thing. I want you to see T-ball, first-year T-ball kids. They give them the bat. It's not real hard. You put the ball on the tee. You've seen two or three other kids hit the ball on the tee, and that kid turns and smacks the coach with the bat, you know, because <laughs> they hadn't quite got the goal figured out yet. If you, listen, if you, if you hit the ball at home plate and you run to third base, you are going to be out. But if you don't know that's the goal is to be safe at first base after a hit, there's going to be chaos, consequences. If we don't know the goal, if we're not aiming at something, if we don't understand what we've been called to, we're going to miss it. And when we miss it, when we don't even aim for it, when we don't know what the aim is supposed to be, man, we'll cause all kind of consequences in marriage and parenting and trying to do the life that we're trying to live. So for just for a moment, I'm going to show you on this overhead just for a visual. Some of you have seen this before, but I... Wanted to bring this back to your attention as this comes on the overhead. I want you to look at it. Y'all supposed to smile when that comes up so I know when it's on there. All right? Y'all just kept the same look. I was like, well, it may not be up there. All right, so as you think about aiming, now remember, it's not just guns and bows and arrows and those kind of things. For those who don't like guns, we're talking about aiming our lives at a goal, okay? We all together? Everybody okay? Deep breaths? Here we go. First of all, we're born down here at the very bottom. We're born. Now, let me just watch y'all for a second see, see who's going to disagree with that statement. Now, it wasn't long ago, and, and, and this friend of mine is in the room. Uh, I was having a conversation with a, a good friend of mine lately, and the person was talking about their 17-month-old son. And the person said that the 17-month-old son had, had, had thrown a fit recently, you know, threw down the floor and kicked and screamed and acted up a little bit. And, and I said, why did you teach him to do that? <laughs> and she looked back at me and like, what do you mean? I said, well, who taught him how to eat? I did. Who taught him how to talk? I did. Who taught him how to? I said, so why would you teach them to, when they don't get what they want, throw themselves down the floor and kick and scream? And, and she just looked at me, and I said, yeah, we're born that way. You didn't teach them that. Every single solitary soul born under the sun is born with a desire to do whatever we want to do, whenever we want to do it, without rule, regulation, or concern for those around us. We're born with our heart bent away from God. The Scripture says it this way, all have sinned and falling short of the glory of God. So here's where we are. We start out here. But then maybe we have some, some amongst us that as we grow along, we say, well, I don't really want to, you know, maybe they say, well, I, I pray to prayer sometimes, but I don't really want to rock the boat. I don't want people to make fun of me at school. I mean, good Lord, who wants to play on a team with, a, with one of those kids, you know, that's so holy and, and you know, and so, and so what they do is they try to live in that second, and they aim for that. I'm just going to be neutral. I'm not going to live like I used to live, but I'm just going to kind of blend in so that nobody really points it out to me and persecutes me and makes fun of me because I do want to be like Mr. Florence High School or Miss Richland High School, right? And so if I want to do that, I can't really rock the boat, so I aim here. And if I aim there, that's all I'll ever hit. And then as we think about life, some of us would say, you know what, as I'm walking the journey, uh, we go out to the workplace and we say, well, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to be, again, average. I'm going to be a, a little, I'm going to do some kind things along the way. I'm going to tell people things like, God bless you. And that will be my witness. You know, I just tell them, God bless you. Not going to tell them about Jesus, not really going to live my faith. But, and so we got something that uh, uh, they're average, just going to blend in. Really wouldn't know. If you say, well, is that guy a Christian? I don't know. I think he goes to church, but I really don't know. I heard this interesting thing the other day about going to church and being a Christian, and the man said this. Never heard this before. See what you, what you get out of He said, cockroaches go, and they spend the night. 
I said, that's a valid point. And so uh, some of us would aim for good. And, and, and maybe there's a couple people in your life that you know that aim great. And when I say aiming now, I'm not talking about trying to get to heaven. I'm talking about they love the Lord and they really want their life to count for his glory. So they try. You know, they really strive to stay close to him. And they, and they do some things, you know, that, that are honoring God. And, 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 and so, so the great, I mean, there's, there's only a handful of people in your life that you say are great in the kingdom of God, service to all. But then you go a category above that and you go, excellent. Now, these are the people that when nobody's looking, they want to honor God. They're grieved when they don't. They're gentle. They're kind. They love people. They're givers. Uh, they never complain. They just walk with the Lord. When they, when they sin, they, they confess it. They're humble about it. And you know about one person like that, maybe. Maybe. Some of you don't know anybody like that. And yet, when we talk about the term holy, it's a term, but we didn't have enough space. It really needs to be in a category all its own. It's so high above great and excellent that we can't even fathom it. And so now, as we sit here, we contemplate our lives, we would say that holy is daunting. Would you agree with that statement? To say that I need to aim at something like holy is, I don't know, we said, messed us above my reach. And here's what we do. We reduce it down and we say, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And so I'm not going to aim holy because God knows I'm not going to be perfect. And here's what we do. We put this little disclaimer sticker on there. Here's what it is. You ready? He knows my heart. Yeah, he knows your heart my heart needs to be transformed a little more every single day of our lives. That's what he knows about our hearts. So today as we think about aiming holy, my question for you is, are you aiming holy? Uh, you, somebody said, well, preacher, are you talking about like doing good enough to get to heaven? No, no, no. Listen, the flow of the letter was chapter 1. Verse 3 and 4, you have a living hope in Jesus Christ. So he's already dealt with the call and the grace of salvation. Now he's flowed it through to what it looks like and how we live. He's not saying if you do this, you go to heaven. He's saying because what I said in verse 3, because you have a living hope in Jesus, this is how you live your life. So aiming holy. You know a question I get a lot as a pastor? I get this question a lot. Brother Terry, do you think this is sin? And they'll tell me what the thing is. And if you've ever asked me that, you've heard me answer that with a question, haven't you? I say back to you real quick, well, if it's questionable in your mind, how do you think the holy mind of God perceives it? That's a good question, isn't it? And I never get a rebuttal of that. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> so here's what we do as humans. We say, if this is the line and, and that's holy, maybe I could just hang out in this little line here and it's not really sin or if I hang out right over here uh, and I can get as close as I can, as long as I don't cross over that line, uh, then everything is all right and, and, and I know I'm going to heaven anyway, so what does it really matter? And what it matters is, is the way you live your life is not about your salvation, but it's about God using your salvation to reach others by your radically transformed life. Oh, so when I say I'm just a sinner saved by grace and I just toy around with sin, I'm being selfish and not considering the impact my life might have on my coworkers, my husband, my wife, my kids, absolutely. So the right attitude to aim holy is if this is the line, I'm going to run back there as far as I can, and I'm going to recognize that Jesus is sufficient for me. He's where I find my joy. He's my living hope, not the thing I wanted to do in the first place. So then there's this aiming holy. Let me just say to you that you and I ought to aim holy. There are three more things I'd like to tell you before we leave. Here we go, number two. Number two. So did everybody get a good practical list of what living different looks like? Would you say, like I would, I, I'm reading through that this week, and I'm going, oh, man, I got a long way to go. Am I the only one in the house? Boy, y'all got that stare down perfect. I know what that means. That means, yes, I don't like to talk about it. I don't like to address it. But if I'm honest, if I just for a minute would, would not consider I'm just doing church, but I'm sitting in my seat right now, and God is speaking to me through a, a, a less than ordinary man. And he's speaking to me from a word that is thousands of years, has been speaking to people for thousands of years. And I would consider for just a minute, hey, you know what? Maybe, maybe in my life there's some adjustments that need to be made. And the level of hope will rise with the level of adjustment. Oh, I wish somebody hear what I'm saying. And so could it be that I'm forfeiting living hope because I'm not living hope? Hmm. Good way to think about it. Let me move on if I can. All right, number two in your notes there. Verse number 17, our allegiance determines our conduct. Our allegiance determines our conduct. Do you know what allegiance is? It's devotion or loyalty to a person or a group. That's what allegiance is. So if I ask you who you give your allegiance to, you first probably would say, well, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands. It's funny, every one of us could quote that. But my allegiance first and foremost, must be to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And if you are born again, your allegiance must be solely to, somebody help me, the Lord Jesus Christ. Not to what color your skin is, not to what country you're from. All of that other stuff is good, fine, and great, but a thousand years from now, nobody will know. Your allegiance must be to the Lord Jesus Christ, and it determines your conduct. Whoever is your leader leads you, and it's evident. Let me just read, okay? Put eyes on verse number 17. He says, Be holy as I am holy, verse 17. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. What is he saying? If I'm calling on him, if I call him my Father, if I call the great judge of heaven my Father, if I call him as mine and my, me as his, then what I want to say is it's going to be evident how I live my life here. It's the same as Jesus saying, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I say to do? So we wrestle with that. You say, well, I know that Jesus is Lord. Well, what does my conduct say? What does my conduct say? In one simple area, like make disciples. I knew the preacher was going there. One thing Jesus asked us to do before he left, go and make disciples and about 80% of the people in this room never made a disciple in your life, living in direct disobedience to Jesus' command. I mean direct disobedience. And you're okay with it. You're all right with it. It's no big deal. One day, though, I'll, 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 hear me on this. One day you'll stand before him. Just you. Not your buddies at work. Not the guys from deer camp or the ball team. Just you. And I want to encourage you before time is out. Listen. Obedient children follow their daddy. Like children calling on the Father, Lord, direct my life. It's yours. I want to say to you today that wherever your allegiance is, your conduct is going there as well. Let me move on if I can. Number three, I tell you there's just two more, three more, uh, two more. Number three, here it is, live in healthy fear. Now, this is going to blow somebody's mind, so you've got to listen because it's going to confuse you if you don't. Verse 17 and 18, here's what he, he challenges the people to do, live in fear. Well, I went to Hickory Ridge, and that crazy preacher, I don't believe a thing he said. He said, live in fear. But then it, what confused me is he read it right from the Bible. Anybody confused yet? If you're a little bit confused by that, would you slip your hand up just real quickly? Uh-huh, yeah. Live in fear. Why, would it, why in the world would Peter tell him to live in fear? All right? So let's talk a little bit about it. Here we go. You guys there with me? Yes? And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves. In other words, live your life. Through the time of your stay here because your citizenship is in heaven. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad? You don't belong here. You're passing through here, child of God. And that means all that we face, all the difficulty, all the death, all the, uh, the consequences that we face, all of the diagnoses, all the medical treatments that are so painful, uh, all the stuff we go through is temporary. Our citizenship is in heaven. But then he says, conduct yourself throughout the time of your stay. You've got a little bit of time here, a certain amount of days, but do it in fear. Now, most um, contemporary commentaries would say, well, that word just means uh, a, a, a loving reverence for God. Well, yeah, but how do you, I mean, give me some, what does that mean, a loving reverence for God? Um, I'll tell you what it looks like. How many of your parents punished you when you did wrong growing up? So you can remember times when they told you don't do this and you weighed it. Can you? You weighed it. You're like, they said don't do this, but I can make them do it and they not find out about it. And when you're early on, you don't realize consequences. So you say, I'm going to do it anyway, and we'll see what happens. And what happens when mom and dad hold the line, when they hold the line and they say, don't do this, and you do it and they hold the line, there's consequences every time consistently. It changes how you act. And you say, if I do that, then dad's going to do this. At my house, when you messed up, you got corrected. Anybody else had a house like that? And my mom was about five foot four and about 97 pounds, you know. And she did not say, wait till your daddy gets home. You were dealt with on the spot, harshly, quickly. You always could tie your offense with the punishment right away. You never had to go think back right away. What's the point you're making here? The point I'm making here is that there ought to be things in your life that you wouldn't dare do because you're afraid of how God would respond. Mm. Now, you don't hear that preached much. God's a great big granddaddy, teddy bear, and he loves you, and he'll just hug you up in his lap and kiss you, and, oh, whatever you do doesn't really matter. He's a God of grace, and Jesus died, and he'll forgive you, and he loves you, and we're just a sinner saved by grace, and how you live your life doesn't matter. It's all a lie. None of that is true in and of itself. He is a God, yes, of love and mercy and grace, but it's balanced with his wrath and justice and punishment. And you won't get one and not the other. He's both and, except in salvation in Jesus Christ. Ultimately, you and I get innocent, full, unconditional pardon 
because of what Jesus did for us. I don't know about you, friend, but that gives me a little living hope to go and live hope. But there are times in our life when we think about living in fear, what does that mean? It means when you next week when that girl at work is so attractive but you're married, you wouldn't dare go to eat lunch with her by yourself because you're afraid of how God would respond. And when that person mistreats you and treats you unkind and you get ready to unload on them verbally, you wouldn't dare do that because you wouldn't, you're afraid of how God would respond and how people would respond to God in you. There's a healthy fear of a loving father who says, this is the way. I want you to experience the way. I want you to walk the way. I want to bless you on the way. But I love you too much to let you get outside the way. Is anybody tracking with me this morning? So then we have this live in healthy fear. The, the scripture says this. You, you go do a study sometime of all the times in the Old Testament when it said, and there were no fear in their eyes before the Lord. They didn't fear God. Here's what it looks like. It looks like I may go to church, but I'm still going to live my life however I want to live it, and I don't care what anybody has to say. That's no fear of God. And friend, let me beg you not to die in that condition. Because you live in a season of grace. And the Scripture says that God causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. He's been gracious to you already. But if you die in that condition without Jesus living life for you, doing it your way. You'll also choose where you'll spend eternity. It'll be up to you. And by not receiving Jesus, you'll have chosen to be separated from God forevermore. And I beg you today, choose Jesus. Choose forgiveness and pardon and purpose. I'm telling you, I've tried them both ways. And there's no better way to live than to walk with him. Let me conclude, if I could, in number four, in your notes, verse 19 and 20, here it is, Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all. Let me read if I can. Coming right on down, verse 18. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, like t-ball players that don't know what base to run to, huh? Like you don't know whether you should hit the ball or hit your coach. Aimless conduct. Now you've been born again. You have an aim. You're aiming holy. Not to get to heaven, but because you're going to heaven. See, what he says next is the foundation and motivation for why we would even think about applying those first five things to our lives. It's not to get to heaven. It's because we've had our way paid and we're on our way to heaven. It's not to get the Holy Spirit. It's because we've been given the Holy Spirit. You see, what he says next is God didn't look down at your condition and say, you know, I'm going to put a little gold on your account. Because gold goes up and down. It tarnishes. One day gold will be, well, it'll be pavement and that only. And so as we look about this message, and we say, this is, this is so difficult. This, this sort of comes in offense to how I'm living, how I'm thinking. And, yeah, it will do that. Why would I? Because God has paid for me with his own son. Because Jesus has redeemed me from things, not with silver or gold, but with his own blood. Let me just conclude. Look at verse 19. But with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without spot or blemish, without blemish and without spot, he indeed was foreordained. God said I was going to do it way before the foundation of the earth, and then he did it. Why would, I, why would I strive to uh, live different? Why would I want to go be made fun of in the seventh grade because I, I won't do the things that everybody else is doing because I was redeemed by the precious blood of the Lamb? Why would I be a different guy at work and not make fun of my wife and do the things that other guys are doing or think about going to lunch with that other lady or do the thing? Because I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. He didn't put a little silver on my account. He purchased me with a high cost. Why would I not learn my business like everybody else runs my business and treat customers however I want to treat them? Why would I want to glorify God in, in how I treat patients? And Because I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. That's the motive. That's the whole crux of the matter. Why would I want to live different? Why would I live hope? Because I've been bought with blood. And not just any blood, the blood of Jesus Christ. So this morning, as we consider living hope, I want to invite you to bow your head with me for just a moment. Would you do that? And as you're bowing your head, just for a moment, set your Bible and your notebook over to the side just for a moment. I want you to consider something with me for just a moment, all right? Followers of Jesus live different even in difficulty. Now, as you're getting situated for just a moment, praise team is making their way to the front. I want to just ask this one question of you. How many of you can say that right now you're going through something that's a little bit difficult? Would you raise your hand if you're going through something that's just a little bit, that's just a little bit difficult? Maybe it's a difficult circumstance at work. Maybe it's a difficult situation with a diagnosis. Maybe it's difficult something you're dealing with a sin that's really difficult to get rid of. Here's what I want to say to you. You're living in a very special place, a special platform to really highlight the difference in you and the difference in the world. 
the world has hope, but the hope is in doctors and nurses and, 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 and alcohol and substances and it's all kinds of things. But in the midst of the backdrop of your difficulty, you have the greatest platform to show that your hope is in Jesus Christ, that it is, in fact, a living hope. So today, I just want to encourage you this way. Be reminded. He's with you. He'll never leave or forsake you. He's with you in the midst of the fire and the difficulty. Now, let's leave out of here in a minute and live the hope we have. Not just sing about it on Sunday, but live the hope. Now, what I want to say this morning is that the altar's open. Maybe there's somebody today who's going through something difficult. Gerald's making his way down front already. And matter of fact, would you stand with him and make room for somebody on your road that just needs to come down? Maybe it's a difficulty in marriage. Maybe it's a difficulty with a child. Maybe it's difficulty with a certain teacher or a certain certain sport that you're having, a certain somebody. I, I just want to encourage you to come down this altar so that we could pray for you. Would you do that? Just leave out of your chair and come down this altar. Matter of fact, Shane, would you and Dawn come and help me for just a minute? I just feel compelled to ask a few people to come help me. Tina, would you help me as well? And maybe you'd find one of these and just come to them and just say, hey, would you pray for me? Would you, you don't have to say what it is. Just say, I'm going through something difficult. Ladies, Tina and Dawn are there. and You just, just say, hey, would you pray for me? You don't have to explain. Just say, would you pray for me? And they'd love to do that. Guys, there's some men down front. They're ready to just, just, just say, hey, would you pray for me? They just want to pray for you. We all have difficult things. So I want you to come. Come on, there are more of you out there. Some of you look around and see who's coming. No, listen, if there's something difficult in your life, something difficult in your child's life, your friend's life, would you just come and let somebody pray for you this morning? Don't let pride hold you back. Living hope. Maybe you'd ask one of them, would you pray simply that I would live out the hope I have? Maybe that'd be your humble cry. We're going to wait just a minute right here. These people are coming, being prayed for. Just for a moment, just, just, just say, hey, would you pray for me? They'll just pray for you right there. I know there are others. Come on, I know there are others. Just come on, leave out of your chair. Just say, hey, i got something difficult going on in my life. Would you pray for me? You don't have to explain one thing if you don't want to. People coming from the very back of the room. Come on, don't let where you're at in your row hold you back from having somebody pray for you. As they're praying, a lot of prayer going on down front. Maybe you've got a friend with you. You just want to come down and pray together. People are doing that right now. Maybe you're here today and you've never invited Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life. May I encourage you that it's not too late. That you were purchased. You've already been paid for. You just need to activate. You need to step into that forgiveness by confessing Jesus Christ as Lord of your life. He bled and died and rose again. Somebody today saying, you know what? Here in salvation, explain the way I heard it today. There never was a change in my life. Today, I really need to try to give my life to Jesus Christ. So I encourage you to do that this morning. Right now, right where you're standing, right where you're kneeling. Lord Jesus, come and be the Lord of my life. Just want you to come. There's some others waiting to be prayed for. Do I have any other ladies that might pray for? Christy, where are you at? Would you come down with me and help me for a second? There's some ladies waiting to be prayed for. Just make your way down. Just have some time for prayer. Ladies, ladies are here to have, just to pray over you, to pray for you. We're going to wait. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes, all right? We're all just sort of looking around. I'm going to just invite you to close your eyes. You should be either in prayer or up front being prayed for right now in this moment. When's the last time you responded publicly to what God was saying to you? What are you waiting for? Somebody right now, he's saying, you need to go down and be prayed for. And you're fighting tooth and nail. Stop that nonsense. Come on, get out of your road. Come on down here. Let one of these people pray for you. Come on, people are coming. Somebody out there is listening to a lie that, well, what I got going on is not that big a deal. That's a lie. If it matters to you, it matters to him. Come on, we got youth that are coming. There ought to be some more adults in the room coming down saying, I just got some difficult things. Would you just pray for me? Just grab one of them by the hand. Say, hey, would you pray for this? Would you pray for that? Come on, people are still coming. We're not in any rush. Come on, just come as the Spirit leads you. Just step out of your aisle and come on down this morning. Quit resisting. Gomez, will you come help me too? We have some men. We don't want people waiting. Come on down. Gomez is going to help me too, guys. He's going to be here to pray for any man that needs to be prayed for. Hey, it's a sweet time we finally letting caution go to the wind. It's not worried about what anybody else thinks, but just say, hey, would you pray for me? Got some difficult things going on. Will you pray for me?
I love it when the Spirit moves like this. Hallelujah. Just moving in hearts and people just saying, hey, come on, I got something difficult. I, I got a living hope, but I've not been living like it. Oh, I got this battle going on in my mind. Come on, somebody. Come on. Come out of that road. I've been battling with this diagnosis. I've got this what if. The enemy's been hitting what if, what if, what if. out for a minute, y'all. What a sweet time of prayer we're having right now. People laying down the burdens of, of difficulty. Oh, mercy. Somebody today just needs to come down the altar and pray, Lord, I've forgotten that your way is better. I let the difficulty rob my joy, rob my praise. I've let the difficulty chase me back to my old way of living. Somebody needs to be reminded his way is better. Even when it's suffering, his way is better. When we have to face some major hardship, he's trying to wake us up and draw us back to him. His way is better. We're going to wait just a moment. We're not going to sing yet because I don't want there's a lot of prayer going on. I don't want to interrupt all that with singing. So y'all just pray where you are. Please continue to pray right where you're standing. I believe there's a husband and wife in the house that are going through some difficult things, and you're staying in your seat, and I'm going to challenge you, sir. You're the leader. Grab her by the hand. Just come down the altar and pray. You can pray silently. Just come on down. God does some of his best work in the midst of difficult days. He's a living hope. Father, I thank you for the opportunity we have together today. We don't have tomorrow. It's not promised. And when yesterday's over, but right now we're thankful for a word that ministered to us in the midst of difficult times and seasons. I pray you continue to just pour your spirit out in this place. I pray, God, for the one who's here today who knows they're supposed to join this gathering like a family did at early worship. I pray, Father, for the one who needs to surrender to ministry. I pray, Father, for the one who's never followed through in baptism. God, I pray for the one today who's invited Jesus to be Lord, but he did it back there in the back under the cover of darkness. And I pray they'd come down the altar and say, today I made Jesus Lord of my life. The one who's listening online, the one who's listening to a podcast later on, that, Father, they would reach out and say, today I've made Jesus the Lord of my life. So, Father, as we lift our voice in song and we declare your way is better, help us to believe that. Not just sing it. Help us to believe that. Even when your way is difficulty. So we pray your kingdom come and your will be done. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen.